0: Yeah, he went up to the ronin and then said, I have the power of God and anime on my side.
1: Start your sublight engines. It's time for Rupalp's Padre, a queer Star Wars podcast. Welcome to our very special Ronin, a Star Wars Visions novel episode. I'm Jess. My pronouns are they, them. My TikTok and Twitter are kawaii jessio, and my gender this week is whatever the heck the travelers got going on they're very cool very epic i think i want to be them
0: um i'm noah my pronouns are he him my tiktok is just at the jewish jedi and my agenda this week is singing in the rain as performed by the cast of ronin with lightsaber umbrellas so i funny. just that was like an, I, this it came to me in a literal vision i was like i need this I need this right a, f- a
2: visions novel perhaps i'm so sorry
0: exactly uh,
2: hello my name is mel i use they them pronouns you can find me on tiktok at grunkle rex um uh, and my gender this week is space rt like hrt but in space um and in honor of ollie who is not with us this episode uh ollie's pronouns are are they them um you can find them at ollie fresh basically anywhere on the internet and their gender is what does the fox say Holy i hate to always
0: <laughs> not here so i can <laughs> yell at them about that it
2: was me i just assigned them i i trans so their you're, gender
0: you're who i have beef with
3: hi my name is claudia um my pronouns are she her you can find me on social media at kaludia says k-a-l-u-d-i-a says um my gender of the week is uh the poor crow which is the second ghost crew did get that from a a joke there's somebody posted that on tumblr and i couldn't get it out of my head and i was like that is that is the feeling i am having um also a shout out to um at the end of rebels same vibe um (laughs) we got it's just a ship with with some ghosts hanging we're just it's i love luigi's haunted mansion
2: (laughs) all the gay people hanging out is that what you're saying it's like yeah. they're like, yeah, we did it. And lastly, our very special guest. I don't know if you want to introduce yourself. If we should introduce you? Sure.
4: Hi. Uh, happy to be here. I'm Emma Miele-Canden. I wrote, wrote it. It is absolutely chock full of queers, and my pronouns are she, they. You can find me on the internet uh, at on Twitter at EmmaCandon, Emma Canton E M M A. C A N D O N and increasingly on Tumblr, sometimes on Instagram, and the wonderful hosts of this podcast have been walking me through how TikTok work at E M Candon, so just M Canton. And my gender is actually somewhat appropriately a tweet you guys quote, which was the intergenerational LGBTQ conflict in Star- in, in Ronin, which. I died about, I thought it was very funny. Uh, my only quibble would be that I would probably call uh, the Ronan and the Traveler more like Gen X than boomers. Like they were, you know, <laughs> behaving for a while. They think this is working out, like it's okay. And then they realize, oh no, this is a bad scene. I gotta go. And now they don't have health insurance and it still sucks. And everyone's like, why did you do that? And they're like, I don't know.
2: I mean, that is
3: the plot of the book. I
2: feel
4: like yeah. literally, like <laughs> no, you guys were spot on. I was just dying.
3: <laughs> somebody, somebody made a joke about like intergenerational LGBT discourse, like like queer discourse, like in the tags of a Tumblr post, whatever. And then I put it on Twitter, and I was like, okay, but actually, jokes as Tumblr discourse jokes aside, this is actually a- about generational discourse, <laughs> isn't it? huh um wait a minute uh hold on and then I um and then I had just had one of those moments so
4: absolutely brilliant perfect some summation of everything that goes on in that book
3: so I guess we should begin with uh what is your background with Star Wars like when did you start watching it or uh you know what's your history with it I guess like we've talked a little bit about our like personal history with star wars and a thing you've had all your life is it a thing you got into later did you not know jack shit about it before writing this book what whatever um just to to give us a little uh and i also know that is also a generational difference often so uh
4: yeah so <laughs> apologies if you've heard me talk on other podcasts before everybody asks this question but it's important it's context um I was seven years old, the family's on vacation, so we're not at home. We're like in a cabin by a river with another family. The children go outside to play in the river, hooray. Except I pass the horrible dinky little television and there's a man hanging upside down in the snow and there's a Yeti and he's reaching for something in a snow bay and suddenly it like claps into his hand. It's a laser sword. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> and That was how I watched the rest of Empire Strikes Back and then Return of the Jedi. And I don't know when I watched A New Hope, whether it was that weekend or like later on, but I was just transfixed instantly. And I was also kind of an early reader. So I was ambitious enough to immediately go to the library and stumble upon Star Wars books and just start reading them. (laughs) And a lot of it was going over my head, but I also like, have a lot of early memories of like oh yeah you know uh the original heir to the empire was the first time I met a villain I was interested in so I know that I'm a drawn intellectual here. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like I read a lot of legends basically all the time from the time I was eight to the time I was about 14 which is when the book came out that killed Chewbacca and I was like I'm done I got to go. <laughs> and um, then it just got weirder as I hear it. Like, things got very strange. And, you know, people I knew who were keeping up with it were always complaining, like, Jason became a Sith Lord. So, like, I didn't read that. <laughs> it's not true. But, yeah. So, like, there's a lot of legends that I consumed very fast and very voraciously. But I've not gone back to it since. Even the ones that, like, I still love, like Raid Squadron. And then yeah no and right now I'm like playing catch up with everything that's come out since because I've watched every movie when it comes out and uh, I've kind of bullied my wife into liking Star Wars too though she's like genuinely into it now but yeah, I watched Clone Wars during grad school. I'm again just like reading and watching things now I love Dr. Afra so much <laughs> um, but yeah yeah that's that's my Star Wars life it's always been here with me uh so my devotion to it has like strayed come back it's just it's always been there
0: I find that so funny because like I so I watched the movies as a kid like and I watched them in order numerically because I was a child when the prequels were coming out so first of all when I got to episode four, I was like, why did the quality drop so hard? (laughs) Like, what happened? (laughs) I'm not kidding. Because I went from Revenge of the Sith and I was like, wow, they really stepped it with the CGI. And then I got to A New Hope and I was like, why is Yoda a puppet? Like, I have questions. But then I like, I got out of Star Wars for a while until like, even like when the sequels came out, like I watched them and I was like, that was cool. And then over COVID is when I got like really back into it. I didn't know that there was a divide between legends and canon. So I'm reading all of this and I'm like, Luke Skywalker had a kid? Luke Skywalker had like more than one of these <laughs> like I I genuinely and then I got on TikTok and I was like wait some of this isn't real like and no one could definitively be like here is what you need to know because I, I watched Clone Wars and it was coming out as a kid and I was like but what is happening right now <laughs> and now I'm here so now I've like caught up on all of the stuff that's come out recently like I'm a big fan of The High Republic but I find that so funny that your first experience was just Luke being like, you're like, who is this man? This is reaching out for like, basically a cylinder in the snow. And then it's a laser sword. I love that. I mean, what is Star Wars, if not Twinks reaching for laser swords? I think that's really important.
4: <laughs> yes, yes, that is a key element, fully agree. No, I, I can't explain it to you. It was just enchantment. <laughs>
2: With Visions coming out so recently um, and being involved with, you know, writing a novel about it, um, and specifically The Duel, how much of the development of the short did you have to work off? How early in the process did you end up um, getting included in?
4: Right. So they brought me in when they had already selected The Duel. Like that had been done a while back. Um, And the first things I got were the original script which is some different from the actual short that came out. That's, you know, that's natural, that always happens. But I got to see a very, very early version of the short. Uh, The voices were all recorded already. So it was just animation. Um, And it was, (laughs) uh, I don't know, like how evident this is with the finished product. I think pretty, it's like 3D animation onto which texture has been layered in like this really beautiful, interesting way. But when I got it, it was like full on T poses. And sometimes it was just like a sketch generally of what a scene kind of looked like. And there was maybe be like some character art in the background or like a stick figure to show you this is where she's moving. So that was the first bare bones version that I got. And I got two successive versions. The second one I got was way more developed and it was also where they had introduced a score and it was just like, oh no, this is so good (laughs) because the music of that short is just, it's this beautiful combination of uh, the original John Williams scores sort of like flourishes. And more like Japanese aesthetic sound. And it's like, oh, I love it. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that was what they gave me to work off of.
1: I
2: just the idea of Koru just like tea posing at the Ronin is really <laughs> sending me to a place
3: I literally was gonna say POV, Koru T
1: he poses That's so. <laughs> I love
0: animation. I I'm picturing their fight on the log, but they're both just standing like in a T shape, like as it rotates across the camera. <laughs> the thing I loved about visions in general is all the different visual styles, but what I liked about that one was just the colors when they were there were so striking to look at. But I had never even given a thought to what the bare bones looked like before. It had been like textured and rendered and like fully finished. And those concepts are sending me to a place. I'm not sure how to feel about that. I didn't know it
4: was gonna be black and white to begin with. Like the, like there were signs, I guess, but I didn't assume like all the character art that they've used in promo, that's all black and white. But I was like, okay, so they'll add color later. Like it's, you know, layering, that's how this shit works. And the moment I realized that, which was during that second one where everything was sort of starting to come again, I come together. I just lost my mind. Like, oh no, this is gonna look really, really good.
2: That's so weird that you mentioned that because now that I think about it, when I was reading the book, I did kind of picture specifically Koru in the in the Ronin, black and white, but everyone else was in color. Everyone else was fine, but they in spe- they specifically were black and white. That's so powerful. <laughs>
0: Okay, same, and I felt insane doing it. But when I when I already have like a visual basis for something that I'm reading, I don't really change the image of it, even if like it's described differently. Like when I was growing up, I saw like Harry Potter before I read the books as I was like, okay, cool, they're the same. So I never try to make them appear in color. I was like, yeah, everyone else is in color film and Ronan and Kauru, they're not. They're in black and white and they're doing their best.
4: I actually kind of avoided using color to describe a lot of the characters. Like I used blacks and whites for the most part, or like I denoted sometimes that Ikea is kind of colorful, but I was mostly avoiding it because, well, we don't know, like what if Kamikaze Doga has ideas? And they did have that one absolutely insane poster that they made for the duel. I don't know if you've seen it, but It features Koru as an idol. And I, again, lost my little mind. Because they're very, very good at that. But I was like, they did not tell me these colors were what they had in mind. And I don't know if they did or if they just thought, this is good for the joke.
3: I just thought of the sold-to-one-direction genre of Wattpad fanfictions. But Sonia, no. (laughs) (laughs) You
1: can't just bring this up.
3: to (laughs) to Koru, the the pop idol. No, it's <laughs> now canon in Star Wars. They made it. They that's that's it's it's canon.
2: Corder would be like, no, be free, get out, get yeah. do you.
4: get out of here. You saw how she was when she like has children that are like in her vicinity. She's like, no,
1: <laughs> you are not my responsibility. You've talked a lot about um <laughs> this is based on a traditional Geki sort of story and. In the galaxy far, far away of the Ronin's universe is based on Japanese shogunite. Um, You've also mentioned the pieces of Japanese folklore you tried to incorporate. Uh, what was your process for this? Was this how it was pitched to you or a story you wanted to tell along? Or were there certain cultural elements you made sure to include from like the start?
4: Yeah. So this is interesting because they really like emphasized from the beginning What do you want to do? (laughs) And um, something editor Tom said to me, and it was at the very end of our first meeting when we had just been like spitballing some stuff, or I guess we weren't even spitballing because he was just introducing the project to me, um, was write the Star Wars novel that only you could write. Don't try to write somebody else's. And I think that's very wise, it's very clever just because of the nature of what Star Wars is, and also in particular for this project. So everything that I brought into it was very much me looking at what they had established in the duel for their premise. So like, if they're doing Jidai Geki, then I guess I'm not gonna be doing like Star Wars meets Gundam, or I'm not gonna be doing Star Wars meets Sailor Moon, which are both kinds of anime. And are also very Japanese in their own way. I'm doing Star Wars meets Kurosawa, but I'm also layering in all this like folklore stuff because that's a lot of where uh, my background is. Like I done in undergrad, I was doing stuff with Japanese cultural history, both in terms of folklore and religious studies and ghosts and theater. But I was also doing post-war Japan which is when a lot of these Geki were being made so I think it's kind of reflected in the scenario that's being set up in Ronin where like it's also post-war and there's a lot of anxiety about whether that's going to last and who people have become in the aftermath of it um, but that was again like when Geki were being made. And I think those anxieties are being expressed in those stories a lot of the time. Uh, So that theme was really just deeply rooted in what I had been presented with and my understanding of the subject matter. Uh, And also the background I was bringing to it as someone who like, for my undergrad thesis, I, for part of it was like, in its entirety, it was, examining the way people narrativize racial history in Hawaii, and so, you know, like looking at the way white people do it, looking at the way uh, Native Hawaiians do it, and looking at the way Asian settlers do it, Um, and the largest group of Asian settlers are Japanese, which is also, like, the background that I come from, like, that's where my family is, and there's like an interesting parallel between the post-war reactions in the Hawaii uh, Japanese community and the like Japan Japanese community and their reactions to violence done to them. Though uh, as a nation, Japan was also wrestling with the violence that it had done to others. And some people were like trying to grapple with that and other people were like, no, it didn't happen. But, Yeah, so that was all stuff that I think was almost inevitably going to turn up just because of the kind of person and writer and thinker I am, particularly because, like, I've had a lot of thoughts over the years about the way Star Wars talks about Empire and the way it sort of has this kind of uncomplicated, like, Empire bad, Rebel's good. We are identifying with the the Rebels. And it's like, oh, there was... (laughs) this one, I don't think it can be on the internet, it's on the internet anymore because it was only hosted for a year, but um, at Iacon, which has run for two years now, hopefully it'll get a third, which is this like sci-fi fantasy genre convention run by um, BIPOC, by but like mainly a magazine that features Black writers and creators run by other Black writers and creators, and it's It's the best online convention I have ever gone to. It's so good. And there was one panel that absolutely blew my mind. And it was a bunch of people talking about Empire and sort of like the American delusion of being the rebel. (laughs) And how deep, and like they talked about Star Wars and like how none of them can really write that because they're all coming from places where like, We were the ones who were imperialized by you. (laughs) Just like the complexities of like how empire lasts for generations. It it lasts for thousands of years in the outcomes of the cultures that it impacts. And just the kinds of stories you can dig into once you accept that and you realize like what the truth of it is. And I was just so besotted with that panel. Um, It it was so, so good. Uh, And so it was on my mind when I came to this book, like, okay, uh, this really makes a lot of sense because Japan has a different relationship with the idea of empire than America does. And I thought um, one podcaster I chatted with had a really good insight, which is that it actually kind of seems like George Lucas is somewhat wrestling with this in A New Hope when you meet Luke, who's like, I need the empire to like go live my life literally anywhere else but here. Because he's just a citizen. He doesn't have any deep moral beliefs. He's just living there. And it's related to like, you know, people talk all the time about how George Lucas was venting some feelings about uh, the Vietnam War. And yeah, so it was like, oh, beautiful, perfect. runs exactly in step with something that was already kind of positive. Um, it's funny to get on this tangent. I meant to just talk about folklore and ghosts.
2: <laughs> no, this is everything. This, know, is this is what we so bad. That really isn't a uh, fascinating insight because it, I think it also kind of like, it, it's a great, not saying reasoning feels wrong but like i i feel like a a critique i've I've seen of the sequels is like oh the first order like what's that like wow did they just like randomly pop back up it's because imperialism it's because it's not just some little you blow up some death stars and the imperialism is over it exists still and that just that would that's such a, a great insight into into that oh my gosh
0: Honestly, I think that's why I ended up falling in love with a lot of the characters of Ronin was because you really felt that they like my biggest complaint about characters in the sequels at all is that none of the ones who survived the Empire seemed to really carry any weight over the fact that they lived in that system. Whereas pretty much all the characters that we meet in Ronan have something that they're carrying from the world that they live in. That idea that Empire is a thing that lasts after the Death Star blows up is something that, I mean, I've only recently, there's like, I just played um, Battlefront 2, which part of that story focuses on like, hey, you blew up the Death Star for a second time, but like the Empire is still very much here and active and causing problems because it's a system, not like a big button you press to get rid of it. Um, but I don't feel like Star Wars ever grapples with that in a way that I find necessarily meaningful, which I think is why I started to connect to some of the people in this book, because I was like, oh, y'all are Diaspora people. Same. I was like, mm, relatable content.
3: Not to, like, be that person, because I am always the Star Wars resistance person on this podcast, but if we are talking about similarities between Ronan and the sequel era... I do want to say, one of the strengths of resistance and why I always wanted it to go longer was that it, it did grapple with like there are people in that time period who have to deal with you know what happens when it goes away because it doesn't really go away what does it evolve into and that's literally what the whole show is about um and um that's why I loved it so much it's very very different from the rest of it. Uh, it's not, it's not Jedi and Force user centric. Although there are a couple who show up, um, like Ronan is obviously. But it's, I was like, oh, at its core, it's this, it's kind of the same issue, um, and then people who like inevitably have to be swept up in it because. They are like, well, I I have now been marginalized by this issue, so now I have to get involved, even though I didn't want to. Um, that's literally what Resistance is about. Anyway, um, if you like this book, you should watch Resistance. Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm being that person, but <laughs> if we're on that tangent about this the sequel era, um,
4: that was another thing that I kind of knew I probably wanted to touch on, mostly because I was acutely aware from the beginning. That I am a fourth generation mixed-race person from Hawaii. So the star the Japanese Star Wars I write is fundamentally going to be very different than the Japanese Star Wars that someone with like closer temporal ties to Japan would write. And uh yeah, no, I think it's it's very evident to people who have read the book which characters that showed up in most, like one in particular is like here's the character through which I'm, like, exploring some thoughts and ideas. But, like, that was a thing that I was actually just looking at, like, the list I made on the first night. Like, what am I going to do? And Diaspora's on it, Empire uh, empire's on it, Ghosts are on it, because Japanese folklore is just so charming, it goes from like extremely eerie to extremely what the literal fuck, this is just funny. This ghost farts, that's all it does. (laughs) And Yeah, no, it's, yeah, yeah, no. The Japanese relationship with ghosts is I think something through which I personally sort of sort out my feelings because as may be evident from all the cheap gaudy skulls on my shelves, I like spooky shit, <laughs> but yeah, like ghosts can be very funny. They can be used for humor. They can be used as figures of great tragedy. They can be extremely eerie, or they can just be like your family. <laughs> and you know, like there's the ghost festival every year. Opal, you gotta um, the, the recently dead always come home, but like the understanding is that ghosts come and you send them off. You go like follow the light go that way you're not supposed to be here okay bye uh but yeah so i knew ghosts were gonna be around pretty early on
3: that was one of the things we wanted to talk about there's a lot of star wars fans who identify with several elements of diaspora already in star wars uh mandalorians is one that people talk about the jedi post order 66 uh clones um the night sisters to some extent um former troopers like uh janna and finn shout out to akia for being that story that i always wanted i was like wow the finn stands were eating um (laughs) um so there's already a lot in there to to for p that people identify with um i guess since you've already started discussing, like, what was your process for developing characters like Akia? And oh, we should say this is this is a spoiler podcast. We can be as spoilery as we want. <laughs> um Yeah, you know, and even kodu like, and what and their relationship was it? You know, it, was there any? Well, their relationship to each other. I should say the relationship to Diaspora. <laughs> Before we get into that. <laughs>
4: Yeah. Okay. So there's, I I knew at some point, like when I was plotting out who these characters were and like the very base elements of like, okay, well, why are you here? And um, part of my planning was also figuring out like, well, what do you like in Star Wars? What do you want to play with? Because fundamentally it's all about a reflection with what's going on. And As you've identified, I have a lot of thin feelings. (laughs) And so, like, Ikea was, like, from the beginning, like, how am I going to exorcise some of these feels? And um, the diaspora thing was, again, also just because I have had my own thoughts. And the things that she's feeling when they finally get to her home are basically me trying my very best to summon up the thoughts I was having when I went to Kyoto the first time with my mother and my mother speaks not a lick of Japanese and I learned all of mine in school and like my tutu tried to teach it to me at one point when I was young but I was very young I was like I want to watch other stuff (laughs) so and that's very sad to me that's very tragic like um her father was a teacher of Japanese language and culture and for that he was interned and her husband was a translator of Japanese and for that he joined the U.S. Army as a translator during the war and so like language is such a thing in the history of my family and it's very funny sometimes when I think about like you know that time when my mom and I were in an antique shop in Kyoto and the Oh, I hear the owner starting to talk to her like, oh, your daughter's clearly spent some time in America. And my mom's like, I don't understand a word you're saying. <laughs> and um, yeah, so just there's this sort of haunting feeling of disconnect and the gap. And it's a very surreal and kind of painful feeling. And you can be aware of the good things that have come from it because you know your ancestors left wherever they were for a variety of reasons and in the case of the Japanese who went to Hawaii they were like looking for ways to improve their lives and there's a lot of pain involved in that too and just like I knew it wasn't going to be familiar I didn't expect it to be but just that sense of that distance is so like palpable and weird. And um, I think it's in a way kind of a wrongheaded feeling because it comes from searching for authenticity when it's like a bad benchmark, but (laughs) it was a familiar one. So like that was the one I was looking for here because she's also in this space of trying to reconcile with an immensity of grief. And that doesn't happen instantly. And there's that period during which you're just like, I don't know who I am right now. (laughs) I'm dealing with it as best I can. And yeah, so lots of (laughs) feelings that I got to play with there that were partly also me just like talking through some of my thoughts on writing this book.
0: Um not to be dramatic, but I am getting like genuinely emotional (laughs) because like, um, epic diaspora person moment. My, uh, ancestors were Jews. I did not know this for the majority of my life because the ones that did survive the Holocaust just never talked about it. And the ones that didn't, you know, they didn't. Um, and the way that you talk about and articulate that like weird emotional distance you have where you want to be both the perfect representation of the culture you come from and also having no idea how to properly connect to it like because I noticed that in this book I was like wow this feeling she has that she needs to return and do right by all these people It it weighs heavy on me like as a person who comes from that and as a person who has to reconcile with like they're just things I don't know about my own people and like even you talking about like learning Japanese but also like Your mom doesn't speak it. And I'm imagining that you, I could the way that I feel about Hebrew, which is like, you say it and you're like, this feels foreign. And that's weird because like, it shouldn't feel foreign. Like I I say the words of my own people and it doesn't work. And like, that's, it's so weird to me because like, I'm hearing you talk about this and I'm like, wow, I'm going to get emotional right now. But like, cause seeing that present in the book, I was like, I relate to this character, but hearing you like describe the process that, the the emotions that went into making that happen I'm like oh okay there's a lot to deal with here
1: yeah it definitely now that you have like described it more like I was like oh that's why it was resonating with me a lot because I'm also like yeah that diaspora moment of being um a a second generation like uh (laughs) Filipino here in America and I don't speak any tagalog because my parents never taught me and trying to learn now is like this feels foreign and weird and shouldn't and yeah now i understand why it's just like akia's like character resonates with me but i cannot describe why yeah there was something so raw about uh, akia um She's
2: one of the the Star Wars characters that I think I've ever, like, resonated with the most. Like, truly feeling represented by a character, not only, like, with her je- journey as a child or as a person of the diaspora, but also, like, as a queer person. Like, there was so much that I was like, oh, oh, this is what it feels like to be represented.
0: To, I think that's why reading this book, it was like, what's happening to me? Like, I was reading this, like... I did the majority of my reading taking the train to and from school. So I'm like on the train and I'm like, what's going on? I'm feeling things, I feel like a lot of things on public transit. But like Mel talking about like I, I finally felt seen by that. I was like, oh, that's why. Like that writing really, I was like, I am a person and my experiences are like understood by others. That's crazy. Well,
3: you were talking about all the the real world stuff. And then you were also saying, I also was working out some stuff that I really like Finn whatever. I feel like it was like, it, like for me it was like, I was like a tr- you triangle one-shot at me there because it was I was like yeah, I really I do identify with this in a in a diaspora sort of way. But also um also, Finn is one of my favorite characters. Uh, oh, wait. Why is he one of my favorite characters? Oh, no. Uh-oh. I have been one-shotted. Uh, the, the dots, they have been connected. Oh, no. Yeah. Um. Epic Sabine moments where there are certain characters I was like, huh, I wonder why I connect with that. And then I read this book and I was like, huh, I wonder why I connect with her. And then I'm like, oh, 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 now I've connected the dots. So, thank you.
4: Ikea was a character who I thought of as, like, this is the character I'm writing for that kid me, who was devouring all the Star Wars from ages like eight to fourteen, because I got really quickly most attached to the characters who were just like kind of the Han Solo, maybe not as quippy, but just like a guy, <laughs> and, you know, uh, whose friends and/or neighbors might be space wizards who have. Opinions and sometimes behaviors. and uh, maybe you don't love that. but I've also just really been a stalker for like the person in the group whose superpower is compassion. And you know, accidentally team mom, oh my God, nobody here knows how to eat a vegetable. I hate it. <laughs> and so yeah, um, i'm I'm always very pleased when people, find themselves attached to her because one, she is the funniest one. But two, like, she's, I think, where a lot of the coming back to earth and having a sense of what you're feeling and where you are manifests in that book because she is the most clear-headed about that in a lot of ways.
3: It was funny we talked about generational stuff because it, for her there's an inters- there's an intersection of like I'm the youngest one here and I'm also not a force user. Um <laughs> and I'm um and I'm also dealing with I'm having one of those moments. I'm also dealing with a lot culturally. The intergenerational deal with that is very interesting to me. I when I was joking about like oh, you know, <laughs> A millennial on boomer violence or I I would call her a millennial rather than a rather than something else but I mean it does really add another layer when you're like a millennial from an oppressed culture of some kind uh on boomer violence um and also be she's like the youngest one in the room I was like it's just there was a lot of layers there um but I also a very Star Wars feeling of found family made up of of people of various generations who have problems with each other. Oh. <laughs> so...
2: Yeah, speaking of that, that kind of, like, those generational, um, like, not- Okay, saying conflict feels weird, um, but, you know, um, relations. In recent Star Wars shows, there's been, like, a refreshing focus on middle-aged characters, and in Ronin, this- Trend is also, like, prominent. We, you know, we have the Ronin, uh, we have Chie, we have, oh my gosh, there are, like, so many characters. I was, I'm just curious about, like, was it a specific desire to work with characters who were older? Or what, what brought the, kind of, like, this, this group of people specifically together in your mind's eye? Uh,
4: A lot of that was looking at the Ronin going, like, he is not a day younger than 45. (laughs) (laughs) like this dude's got some baggage and sort of spiraling out from there. And like, you know, when I'm trying to unpack, well, what's this story? What's this like history? What are people like living with or running from? It just made sense for him to be older. And, you know, obviously this guy is no young twink Luke Skywalker. He's in another phase of his life. And uh, yeah, so it was just like, he he gave me vibes. He gave me old dad vibes. (laughs) And I just had to figure
2: it out from there. It has just occurred to me, more than anything, if there were ever to be a Ronin sequel, I want him and his daughter, I want him sleeping, like, on, like just just falling asleep at a couch and his daughter, like, saying something and being like, huh? I mean, she
3: kind of already does that all the time.
0: Ronin is fully the dad where she, like, goes to turn off the TV and he's fully asleep and he's like, I'm watching that. Like, he, like, wakes up out of, like, a big state.
4: I really hope they let me come back to this because i want to write her being kind of feral <laughs> just i don't think she's well
2: socialized
3: I- i'm imagining like an old luke and ray kind of dynamic
2: <laughs> okay we were talking about gen x ronin zoomer
3: daughter yes hello welcome
0: she has <laughs> well, a tiktok was... account
3: <laughs> no but that that was the thing i mean she does uh, shout a black mirror moment <laughs> We were saying, like, oh, like some people—they're Boomers or they're Gen X and Millennials. We don't have Gen Z. At the end of the book, you have Gen Z on the show.
2: We love representation; so important.
4: Yeah, well, there is Gen Z. It's the Padawans and
2: uh, his daughter. You know, they're around, going like, "Oh, adults make bad
3: decisions." What do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, our our funky little our funky little uh Padawan who just kind of like goes up to the Ronin and is like powerful than you. Fuck you.
2: We're talking about representation. We're a queer podcast, obviously. um, And we focus a lot about that queerness in Star Wars. um, Let it be subtextual or in some occasions, textual. And it was really exciting to see so many like visibly and outwardly queer characters in Ronin. Um, What was the process uh, for including them? Did bringing uh, a queer... Um, influenced just like by, by by being you, have a place in your process for bringing queer characters to this universe.
4: Okay, <laughs> I feel like there are steps to this one. Um, I thankfully got over the anxiety of how many queers am I allowed to have in this book multiple years ago. Um I've not worried about that for at least maybe a decade by now like I just don't care anymore because if anyone goes like well it's not realistic like well I was one of those kids who in high school had a group of friends and we were all like we're very cishat and like three of us came out as queer by junior year and more and more during senior year and then every year after college like somebody comes back and goes hey guys guess what and it's some point we're all standing around in the parking lot looking at each other and going like 95 hmm, percent huh <laughs> and, you know so like okay cool maybe I, we just find each other I don't queer stick to together <laughs> we just go oh you seem you seem cool you seem fine
2: we can we can hang out. I feel but- like that is what Akia did to Chie. She was like, "Hey, you seem pretty epic. Let's let's roll. Let's keep it going." Yeah,
3: when the when the traveler or the Ronin is like, and they're like they're like, "Yeah, I mean, how did I find you on that road?" It's like it wasn't the forest It was just because like just queers hang in packs. That's all it is. you're like-
4: signaling. <laughs> oh god, that might have been it.
3: <laughs> I just
4: stopped getting anxious about that. So like in my own work, I don't think I have a single cishet dude. Like I'll use cishet women, but, and so, you know, I'm looking at Ronan and I'm like, oh my God, am I going to have to write men <laughs> like, who aren't gay? <laughs> um, and I, it was almost a challenge to myself to write Hanrai because I was like, all right, I'm going to figure out how to make a cishet dude villain that you think is interesting. <laughs> guys also like correctly pegged him as very neoliberal and i'm like yeah he is <laughs> yes. uh,
3: fox i i think i said it um fox is the energy of a queer person who has to sometimes go home to their very cringingly neo re- neoliberal family who loves them very much but they're like i can't vibe with this um have fun yeah no that's
4: yeah no and <laughs> anyway um when i submitted the outline for Ronan to my editor and the story group. I didn't say that I intended to write a queer romance into it, or maybe more than one, but I definitely had that in my mind. And um, because I kind of like had this anxiety early on of like, all right, they hired me to write a Star Wars book <laughs> from a Japanese perspective not a queer one. And how much can I get away with? I don't know. Um, I know they've done some cool things here and there, but it is still, you know, it's a media corporation. It has its own concerns that I might have to fight here and there and I'll have to pick my battles or whatever. And then editor Tom comes and goes like, so is the traveler like gender fluid, non-binary? And I was like, non-binary, thanks. (laughs) And um, from then on, like, I was just like, kind of seeding things into the book. And like, when I sent off the manuscript, I had like full on anxiety about it. Like, oh my God, what are they they gonna say? What's this? And, you know, editor Tom comes back with these notes, like, oh, is this kid trans? Cool. (laughs) Like, oh, thank God. (laughs) And after that point, I ended up writing this essay because uh, he had left me this comment because I think he, he noticed that like, I cared about this stuff. Like, are you sure that all the bounty hunters in the duel are, are dudes? And I went, yes, Tom, I've done that on purpose. I thought about it a lot. <laughs> um, and it was this whole essay on how I was using like Cishead dudeness to indicate something, you know, like Hanrai is there to be an indication of like a kind of patriarchal norm and history with which I think Chi Geki is also kind of wrestling with. And, you know, cause like it looks different cause it's Japanese, but it's still very much present. It's a force to be reckoned with, not to pun. So just like I kept on putting in more things at, at the end of that essay, I was like, I kind of thought about the original version of this, uh, I had written in, like, I had in mind, like, okay, I'm going to, they've given me the Ronin, big grim swordsman, how can I queer him up? Um, First thought. (laughs) And, uh, like, okay, I'm going to give him, like, a past romance with a woman and a present romance with, okay, this non-binary person. And I wrote it, and I was sort of cleaving to, you might have seen this in some, like, J dramas or C-dramas or K-dramas or like anime where even if uh, cishet romance is forefronted, maybe they hug. (laughs) That's kind of it, but like it's there. And if you are a savvy reader of the genre, you understand they are romantically involved. And that was like the way I did it because I was trying to like honor that. And then I thought about what it would feel like to have someone say, Well, I didn't read it as romantic. And I was like, I would spontaneously combust. I would be so irritated. So I have to be more overt. And that was when I started editing a lot more things in it that I thought, like, in my mind, were a little clumsy. But, you know, I thought hard about, like, what can I do here, blah, blah, blah. I got a lot of advice from my wife, who's much more romantic than I am. (laughs) That was when space hormones came in, because I didn't originally have that line. But I was like, I want anyone who's like, I didn't see, like, well, what if the kid changed his name for other reasons? I want them to sound very stupid. (laughs) So like, you know, to me, it seems ham-fisted, but... I did it for a reason and that was the reason Uh, because I knew I wasn't talking exclusively to a queer audience, you know? I'm talking to a lot of people for whom all of this is new. And it's, you know, to to plant a flag and go, nope, it's here. And the way I was freezing it to a friend uh, the other day was, I spent all this time playing gay chicken with Lucasfilm until I realized that I was only playing with myself because they were just going, yeah, whatever, have fun. (laughs) Um, So that was how Queerness came into Ronin.
0: I loved that. I mean, honestly, when you're like, it's ham-fisted, we deserve ham-fisted queer representation in pretty much everything at this point. Um, Honestly, the funniest thing is that I took it in such stride that I would like read a page and then it'd be like, wait a minute, <laughs> like this thing just happened to me. Like, I remember, I, I think it got to like, uh, like chapter like five, s- like like seven or eight. And then it was like, the Traveler's been using they, them pronouns this entire section. <laughs> it was like, pause. This is a kid, like, this is happening in the book. <laughs> Which like, I love too, because so often when it comes to queer rep, especially in fandoms like Star Wars, people are like, I'm not sure about that. So the idea that you like had the fourth out to be like, we're not going to have a conversation. It is there. That's it. I'll give you a few token straights here and there, but like by and large, this is a group of gays. And I'm like, yeah, yes, it is.
3: Bessie, I, I literally like I wish everybody had that energy everybody I just I that energy that you just described I was like I want that energy in every piece of media Um about any kind of representation frankly, but for queer representation specifically because we were talking about right now like I I love that kind of energy because it's like What are you gonna do about it? You're gonna give me a ticket. You're gonna arrest me. Um, <laughs>
1: Yeah, I really do love that you went into this and was just like, this is kind of like the whole thing that's about our podcast too, or like a thing we will always bring up is just like, it's gay because I said it is, and you'll just have to deal with it. Sometimes, I think we've talked about this before on this podcast, where sometimes it's like, oh yeah, that feels like it's just throwing it in my face and it could be more subtle, but yeah, sometimes you do have to like put it down there for people because some, yeah, some people will try to be like, mm, no, I don't, I, I don't think it is like all those historians who try to be like, oh, yeah, they're just, they're just guys being dudes, gals being gals okay. <laughs> Yeah, but no, this time it really is just like, yeah, they're queer. It's right there. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk.
2: I've been so used to having to be like, oh, in the subtext, this is obviously gay people. And so for me, it took me a minute, like Noah was saying to realize I was like, oh, wait, there's something going on here. Something LGBT just happened here. <laughs> um, specifically, I think with a lot of like the interactions between um, Akia and, and Koru is like, whoa, wait, was that women interact like that? And it just gave me so
0: much joy. It's straight people have been hamfisting that down all of our throats for my entire existence. I had to see a brother and sister kiss on the fucking mouth in the original Star Wars movies. I deserve Very obvious gay people. (laughs) Which to be fair is the point of this podcast. Like we did start it specifically for that.
2: You jump scared me with the with the brother and sister kissing. I was like, (laughs) I forgot (laughs) about Luke. But thinking
4: about the audience. And like, you know, I had all I was also working with another editor by that time because I sold the archive undying literally a month before I got this offer. And uh Carl. Engel Laird at Tor.com is like, he's like, bring me the queers. <laughs> he, he's edited for Gideon the Ninth, for Docile, uh, for the Tensorate series. It's like all gay all the time. And I, you know, I like, I would love to work with Carl. He'd let me <laughs> do anything I wanted. <laughs> and, but just like, you know, coming into Star Wars and going like, oh God, what can I get away with here? And the answer was everything. Which was <laughs> kind of amazing, but yeah, no. Uh, I I really I think credit should go not only to editor Tom and the editing team and the story group, but to every single other Star Wars author who's always also been like kicking open the door <laughs> incrementally. You know, you've got Justina Ireland and E. K. Johnston and Claudia Gray and Daniel Jose Older, like all doing their part to be like. <laughs> bang on that shit get it open and i was able to swan in and go hello it's everybody it's me so we-
3: anastasia <laughs> <laughs> the way we've had a whole ted talk about the bad books and gay people i guess speaking of queer canonical queers uh which we have multiple of which i was like cannot i, I was like wait i was like wait Actual gay people in my Star wars it's more likely than you think. Um, there's also, like, there was a big strength of the Vision shorts was that there was different people making it and a different cultural medium, but it still had the spirit of Star Wars. It felt Star Warsy, Um And we talk about how a big thing that is... What makes something Star Wars-y, in our opinion, is that it is inherently queer, whether that is things that were coded that way, or themes, uh, the aesthetic, um, you know, Chanel boots, um, <laughs> uh, whatever it is, like, to the characters, whatever, like, like the pieces that make it what it is, is Star Wars, like, we often talk about how, like, the building blocks themselves are, are rainbow colored. Um, <laughs> so, I guess... We've talked a little bit about all, like, what is our, you talked about your relationship with Star Wars. What is your relationship, I guess, with, I guess, queerness in Star Wars. You talked about how other people have knocked down the door a little bit. But I guess, like, personally, your experience with, like, queerness and Star Wars and were there any, like, I guess, things that you consider to be inherently queer parts of star wars that you were like i'm going to include in ronin or that i just went yeah um that's i I think that's just a thing i guess (laughs) i guess we we talked about the the actual queers i guess we'll also talk about the subtext (laughs) uh as well
4: okay so one thing that i kind of admire about you guys and i think this is partly like those little generational things you're not like i'm a middle millennial like, I feel like a geriatric millennial a lot of the time, so I think I'm not quite there in terms of time. But, like, my relationship with canon is less like, I have decided that this is what it is. I'm like, canon doesn't care for me, but I, maybe I care about canon. And uh, I really love that approach. I respect the hell out of it, and I adore it. But it's not, like, where my brain typically lives. I'm, like, trying to hike up that mountain. So for the most part, when I'm like consuming Star Wars, especially, I'm like, oh, look at all these sets. <laughs> um, but then, you know, I go on and I read people's trans headcanons about Ahsoka and I'm like, you're right, Ahsoka is trans. <laughs> and, but yeah, it's just like, that's my base experience of it, right? But at the same time, like when I learned about Dark Disciple, I had a day <laughs> and it was like, a sash a lesbian. What are you talking about? <laughs> and, uh, I definitely, part of my experience of watching Clone Wars was like look at all of the people that Obi-Wan Kenobi has disappointed in bed. <laughs> um, it's just like his rampant uh, bisexual energy in that show to me is so like palpable. <laughs> um, but yeah no and like Ahsoka and Barriss, so like yes they are girlfriends, but you know it's just—I guess Clone Wars is where all my queer content lives, <laughs> and maybe it was because I was uh, consuming it like later in life when I was a little more like, "Yes, this is where I am. This is who I am." I was in my twenties, my late twenties by that point, was when I watched all of it. So, yeah, that's my relationship. Can anyone tell that I like a
3: Ventress? Is that a oh. surprise? Um. Our last episode was about girl bosses in Star Wars, and um, I brought Ventress to the table, so um, as soon as uh, Cody
1: was in there, I was like, Ventress moment! I relate a lot, though, to you saying that, like, Clone Wars is where you got a lot of your your queerness, like, content from, at least for, like, I only just recently watched the Clone Wars, like, the beginning of this year, and I am in, like, my mid-20s, so I, I feel that vibe, and as a person who's, like, queer too, I was just, like, yes, I see everything as queer, these are all queer characters, Obi-Wan is by Ventress, yeah, I also saw her as a sapphic, so, was, yeah, I relate to that.
0: I, so, I watched Clone Wars when it was coming out, and I was a child, um, and the funniest thing, I'm just thinking about Asajj Ventress now, um, but, like, the funniest thing about that was, I remember being, a, like, a small child, and being, like, I love her, and at the time, I was, like, I don't know why I love her cause like, I don't want to date her. And then I got older and I was like, girl boss, I'm gay and I love evil women. I was like, cool, this works for me. Uh, And I remember like getting older and being like, she's great. And I didn't know about Dark Disciple until like very recently. So I was like, she what? I was like, she would never, Like, she's not like that. (laughs) So when you said that I was like, yeah, kindred spirits here, I'm like, no. She is a lesbian. I, and then I was like, you ever have to like fact check yourself where you're like, this is canon, right? And then you're like, it's not, it's never been mentioned even once.
2: So this is where I like to bring in just 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 because I am um a firm believer of of lesbian Assage Ventress, he, him, lesbian, Quinlan Voss. That's oh, so
3: crap. powerful. Okay. I do mm, yes, that's good. <laughs> well, so I we talked a, we have gone on a venturous tangent but that does bring us to I guess we talked about cultural essentials that you wanted to put in like queer shit that you wanted to put in what were the like Star Wars essentials that you wanted to put in or were there like did you make a list or were there things that you were just like as you went along you were like yeah I would definitely want that to be in there whether that's like themes or a certain, you know, or something very specific like a kind of droid or uh like I don't know or re- like references to specific characters. I know you've talked about how like the Ronin is like w- w- what if what if Anakin <laughs> what if Anakin um grew- just became a very sad and confused dilf. <laughs> um <laughs> well, it was like specifically the the
4: touchstone line for me was what if Anakin Skywalker pulled an Obi-Wan Kenobi where, you know, after his moment of like, oh, I've become the nightmare scenario, was like, I'm gonna leave and then the problem will be gone. And it's like, hell no, you are still making decisions. And uh, it's questionable what his decisions are and whether they're good and who knows? The book explores that a little bit. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think it was essentially like, I have two opinions about what the vibes are for Star Wars, and one is that everything is very grimy, and that stuff breaks, so sometimes, you know, the thing breaks, and either you know how to fix it, or you live with it, and the other one is that people are whining all the time. Uh, they're usually doing it in kind of a funny way, but, you know, it's just people going, oh, God damn it, the thing's broken again, and... um or ah, I'm being shot at, god damn it. And I think for the most part, what I was looking to bring in from Star Wars were those character archetypes because I was sort of purposely pushing against the Campbell narrative, which I have some enmity for these days. <laughs> and so like we have talked about, I think the main three that I was thinking of where I was like, what do I want? I want Finn, I want Ventress. And... God damn it! The Clone Wars made me like Anakin Skywalker.
3: <laughs> I think that's why this book made me feel crazy. Because now when you're like, what about Finn and Ventress and Anakin? And I'm like, ah, that makes me feel nuts. <laughs> that makes me feel bonkers. Um, and and what if they were all just on a little ship that didn't work together?
0: <laughs> I I loved the vibe of like literally being like, this is broken. Oh wow, well, like that. Oh I also no, love light our sniper. lightsaber,
3: it's broken.
0: No, cause I remember when I first got into the scene where Koru has uh, Ronan's lightsaber and she's like, why did you never fix this thing? Like it isn't even hard. Like she does it in like two sentences. She's like, this was not difficult. You just left it there. You know, and I mean, love that because I was like, girl boss, truly. like She's living her best life.
3: I, I, in that moment, he was representation for me, someone who has executive dysfunction issues, where I know it's broken, I know it's something I need to do, but maybe I just put it off, and at this point, I'm too embarrassed to do it at this point, and I know that it would take like three seconds to send that email, but I'm embarrassed, so I'm not going to do it, and I think at one point he even says, he's like, and we're not going to talk about it. Uh, and I was like, wow, I feel very represented by you, sir. Um, And then she's like, it literally takes three seconds. Like, what was the reason? And he's like, you know what? It's an unread email that's been at the
1: bottom of my, leave me alone. Like, <laughs> He also, instead of fixing it, just um made his little hilt instead. Like, he had the energy to make that and decided like, yeah, I'll just build this thing around it so that I don't have to fix it. And I was like, wow, that's really relatable because same, I like, no, I need to fix this problem, but I will do a completely different other thing instead.
0: Ronan is fully the guy where you get in his car and all of the indicator lights are on and he's like, they're trophies that you get from driving. (laughs) He's the guy that like, you get in his car and you're like, your oil has not been in the vehicle for like six months. He's like, yeah, but I bought this killer air freshener. So we're good to go.
3: Emma you did say he's based on Anakin and we know Obi-Wan gets in the Anakin ship and is like why is this ship fucking broken <laughs> so
4: <laughs> it makes sense uh, yeah no um it's a depression metaphor <laughs> So yeah, like the Alba's on lightsaber was a very late note we got from the studio. Like that came in when we were in past pages. You're not supposed to be changing things to the degree that we were changing things in past pages, but we had to because it was a studio note. And like, I had gotten these little piecemeal here and there and it's like, oh, this makes a lot of sense. This fits right into the Geki thing. So like it fits seamlessly in, we're still in drafting. And then, This very last one is like, so the reason that he has that lightsaber scabbard is because the other one does not turn off. And within like a week, someone on the internet is joking about the scabbard, like, ha ha, maybe has it because the other one doesn't turn off because he's too angry. And I was just
2: like, it's because he's sad. (laughs) It's the depression. That's a not secret that we'll keep for like later. Either.
0: The idea that like other they are like, all right, I have to bleed my kyber crystal. I got to get like really angry and emotional. And the Ronin holds his and he's like, I had a really bad day today. And it just instantaneously turns red. Koru like opens it up and she's like, damn, this bitch is really
3: depressed. He gets like an ounce of serotonin and then it starts to slowly not be red anymore. And he's like, wait, that's all? I had to just take some Wellbutrin, really?
4: He needs to go to therapy, absolutely. He needs, like, mm, I don't know what, like, I wouldn't armchair diagnose, man, that's unprofessional, but he's definitely traumatized. I wrote that in on purpose.
0: The traveler's like, hey, do you want to be friends? And the and Ronan's like, like friends, friends, like we hang out and they're like, yeah. And he pulls out a lightsaber and it's white. He's like, well, it's over, I guess. It's like, Maybe the I? real lightsaber blade was the friends we made along the way. <laughs>
3: That's the plot of the damn
0: book!
3: (laughs) Oh, I love this. Welcome to... Is it Legends or Did I Just Make It Up? The Sith Edition. Because we hung out with our little Sith little besties in this book. Um... Basically, this is a fun little game where um, we go through Wikipedia and we find uh, pages that are now Legends, no longer canon, that make us feel a little insane. Um, And then we have everybody else guess, is this an actual piece of Legends or is this the one that I sprinkled in that I made up? Um... And it's, um, it's a wild and fun time. So Emma is going to help me um, throw a brick at all of your heads with this Sith lore. Um, You're
2: welcome.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you um, so much.
2: Also, I'm so Emma,
3: when you were like, yeah, actually, I read a lot of Legends books. I was like, oh, shit. Um, they might know all of these or more than us uh oh no
2: yeah also i read maybe two pages of *Heir to the empire so i could consider myself a legends (laughs) connoisseur i have
3: i have three here they're all about sith lore uh emma would you like to start with the first one
4: in legends the temple of pain was created by sith artifacts which when activated mistakenly trapped the followers of a sith cult inside an asteroid and the leader of the cult became a force ghost
0: okay a
2: lot of this book
0: <laughs> I, this does also sound remarkably similar to what happened to quizzy so r.i.p <laughs> <laughs> quizzy. get quizzy's name out your damn mouth okay so we'll just
1: know that quizzy is the grand inquisitor when we refer okay. to someone named quizzy
0: our our bestie quiz knows um i okay This does sound like something from Legends because one, it's weird and two, it involves a lot of weird Sith artifacts, but like, it sounds like some shit the early Sith would have pulled, but I, the fact that it's called the Temple of Pain is a lot. (laughs) I'm, I'm going to cast my vote that this is Legends though.
1: Yeah. I'm like thinking like, it sounds weird enough where it could be Legends, but I'm also like did, like, Claudia pull, like, a, a one-of-us moment where it's just, like, I've changed one tiny little fact? I think it is Legends. I'm gonna go with it's Legends.
2: So this sounds like a Cavan Scott joint is the problem. This sounds like Tales from Vader's Castle shit. Like, Chopper gets possessed by said Sith spirit. Um.
3: So I'm gonna say that you made it up. Okay, Emma, would you like to give us the reveal?
4: It is Legends.
3: Oh Hell yeah.
0: Epic. That okay, uh, full disclosure, that is the first time we've gotten one of these right in a long time. So I will. Well, you I and I tied last one. time.
3: Yeah, Bestie lies, deception. Yeah, there actually wasn't that much more like lore about this one. Um, because I think it comes from, I want to say, uh, oh, I believe it comes from the um one of the RPGs, like, uh, guidebooks or something like that, um, but, uh, oh, there is a, there is a child named Caleb involved, so, so (laughs) I was,
2: I had Canaan in in my head, okay, interesting,
3: anyways. So, Emma, would you like to give us the second one?
4: Sure, um, as a side note, I don't remember any of this stuff, whether it's real or made up, it's all, like, a mystery to me, I- I'm 34 now, I stopped reading legends 20 years ago. It's like, so yeah, anyway. <laughs> um, while Sithspawn is now used as a curse word in the galaxy, it used to be the name for the homunculi the Sith would create with genetic engineering and the dark side of the force. One of these was the Swamp Wampa.
0: Okay. The Wampa? Have, I, I have several notes. Notably, Claudia, who is a known fan of one Full Metal Alchemist and Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. The idea that you using the word homunculus here is very suspicious to me. And I don't trust it whatsoever. But I also feel like it'd be gaslit because like that like Sith children are a thing, and Sith weird Force babies are a thing. Did you not read this book? I know. that's why I'm like, <laughs> But it's the it's the word homunculus, and I'm like Claudia would use that word. I know she would. I feel yeah. I'm gonna okay. I'm gonna wait for other people to answer. I feel crazy. I'm gonna sit back for a second.
1: Yeah, like, pull back like, again. Yeah, now we're bringing up like Claudia is the the full metal alchemist stand here, <laughs> <laughs> and, but I don't know I don't know mm, I. I'm gonna go with I think it's it's legends again because it just sounds crazy enough where I think it might be legend oh
2: gonna now, now you look pensive I know I'm thinking I'm so used to being the the hunter and not the prey for these types of situations so I'm like what the fuck is happening um I'm gonna say it's
0: legends I have put I mean, when I'm considering the thought of someone saying Sith like Sispawn as an insult, because like that's something that I would call a child in the in the real world that they were being a problem. But like if I'm wrong about this, I swear I'm I'm gonna say it's legends because I'm subject to peer pressure and I'm like, maybe I'll let it happen. You don't wanna
1: be a contrarian?
0: <laughs> Nar.
3: Emma, would you like to give us what what it is?
4: It is legends.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> Okay, I, so your pressure worked. Cool. I,
3: I put the word homunculi in there to throw you off. Um, it is not in the Wikipedia <laughs> entry. Holy shit! But, really? Oh my god. Um,
2: we play but- mind games with one another. It's <laughs> book <buck laughs> one. Fair.
3: Um, the Swamp Wampa is not- uh, is just one example. Notable Sith spawn included the Masasi cast of the Sith species. That's very problematic. Um, <laughs> um, some monsters, some hydras, the reborn Emperor Palpatine chrysalide rancors. Don't know what that is. Viathans. <laughs> Supernatural moment. Oh.
2: <laughs> How did you do it? How did you manage <laughs>
3: Dark Flowers, don't know what that is. Uh, the Two Dark Jedi Gork and Pick.
1: Another pick? Whoa. We can't keep
3: doing this. <laughs> and believed to be the worst Sith Abominations, Techno Beasts.
2: I thought you were just going to say tech, like tech bad batch. <laughs> I was going to say, whoa, damn.
0: It's just I... fun and
3: funky fresh.
0: I swear that the writers of some of this legend stuff really had like a dartboard and they were like, okay, so there's a Wampa, and they throw it out and they're like, and it's from a swamp. And then they like shoot a gun and they're like, and it can turn into Darth Vader. Like every idea that I learn is from legends is one against my will, but two is completely bonkers. Like, yeah, you know, my favorite Star Wars creature, Leviathan. <laughs> also, <laughs> also imagine someone like a Sith, with like a bright red lightsaber is like kneel in terror before Gork. Like, this is the person <laughs> I'm going to die from. This is how I meet my end.
4: Oh, I think I think part of this might just be the process because uh, what I found during Rodent was that whenever I left in brackets, large animal go here. This person, this kind, like, these are the dimensions of the alien. I don't know what kind. You know, one person in the story group would be like, Here's a list of potential species, and someone would inevitably go make a new one. It's just so much easier to make new shit, even if it makes no sense.
3: And I think so I think that's dude. the motto of, of Star Wars. I think they're just like, "What if we tried this?" And then nobody said no. I,
1: it makes me go like, "What the heck does that look like?" Please give me some concept art so I can picture what this what this thing looks
0: like. I'm thinking about, like, I think you said, like, chrysalis rancors or, like, crystallized rancors. I'm thinking about, like, if the rancors were, like, part of the Winx Club, like, they had, like, a Aww. fairy transformation. Get out.
3: Well, we have one And it plays
0: the one. theme song.
3: No, no, get
2: out. <laughs> the Hannah get Montana
0: transition.
2: No, you can't mention it. If you mention it, it has to be played. Some Sith had
4: familiars, which they created by manipulating droids with the dark side of the Force. While Sith used alchemy to create their familiars, the Night Sisters had more traditional familiars that could be animal spirits.
0: Okay, so I know that Claudia purposely used the word homunculus in that other one to throw me off. So and, alchemy. Now, and now the word alchemy is here. <laughs> I'm just to, to, be fair,
3: to be fair to me, in the other one, the word alchemy um what like was actually a part of the Wikipedia, like and there is like a sith there is a sith alchemy like entry whatever and the word alchemy shows up in a lot of these sith um articles so i i didn't make that part up that is actually where i got the inspiration i wasn't just being having one of those moments they just be alchemizing
2: (laughs) <laughs> and
0: shit. you know that meme that's like we offending it's just the sith and they're like we alchemizing.
2: i'm trying to decide do i think is claudia okay no i can't play the mind game of is claudia gonna give us three legends pages or is this just made up hey or Vice like Ursa? ollie did
1: that to us in the gaming episode to me and noah because ollie that's just true. wanted to share some some fun facts about games. game but also like what did you say that the sith their familiars were like usually just like droids or, what? Please.
3: They they manipulate droids with the dark side of the force to then become their familiars.
2: Where was Dooku's little bestie then? Where was Dooku? Where was his little familiar? <laughs> I can't deal with that. I think you made it up simply where's because I Palpatine's little. <laughs> yeah, where's where's Palp's bestie?
0: I really want this to be true. Cause I also love the idea of the Night Sisters going like full tilt, witch mode and being like, this is my magic talking bird. But I I don't know. I'm
1: gonna say Claudia made it up.
0: I well peer pressure worked for me last time. So I am also <laughs> gonna say that Claudia made it up. <laughs> no, no, like, <laughs> I just cause here's my thing. Wait, okay, I know Tarkin isn't a Force user, but would his familiar be a mouse? Running, I'm going to say you made it up.
4: It is a beautiful dream that Claudia had. Yeah.
3: <laughs> oh my God. However, however, I did fuck with you guys because it is mostly true I only changed one thing. Like canon
2: true or like legends true? Uh,
3: legends true. So, the Sith Familiar was a type of Sith developed creature that resembled, which apparently has its own page, um, that resembled a small scavenger bird, not a droid. Familiars were created by the Sith and Order of Dark Side adherents. Uh, thank you for telling me that. Um, and were produced via Sith alchemy. See, I didn't make that part up. Uh, a familiar was bonded by the Force to the individual who created it, which allowed the master of a familiar to experience the sights and sounds and encountered by his or her familiar so they could like, see through them in a moment. And the part about the Night Sisters uh, was true. The Night Sister riches of the planet Dathmir possessed familiars of their own, though they were different in nature to those of the Sith. So I did just fuck with you a little bit. Do you think
1: a night sister could have a gackle bat as a familiar?
0: I think Star Wars would be made infinitely funnier if, like, Palpatine just had like a small, like, a guinea pig, like he had, and he has. Not fucking to Benicula,
3: the- get out! <laughs> we are, we are his dark materializing our Star Wars.
1: Anyway, yeah, uh, Noah, you and I tied again. Woo. Oh yeah.
3: Before, before we move on. Emma, is there any, are there any last thoughts that you have for us that you would like to share um, with the gay people <laughs> who listen to this podcast? I mean, there are other people who listen to this podcast, um, uh, a <laughs> book or anything else.
4: When we were talking earlier about diaspora and the way it sort of resonated so much for all of you, I was just thinking, this is, this is what I did it for. This is, this is why I did it. Um, because I've talked before about how like uh, the moment that I went from like intellectually understanding representation to like, oh, I'm having a body feeling was in Rogue One when Beys and Chirut were on screen. And I was like, I'm Japanese, they are Chinese and they're drawing from a tradition that is sort of like somewhat Tibetan in nature, but I'm still having a very intense body experience right now. And um, I had similar feelings watching *Force Awakens*, and uh, I had never had that before. And it was just so interesting because, like, I had always assumed my experience is too niche to be like properly represented because I'm mixed race, and I'm queer, and I'm disabled. So, like, yes, every time there's a queer disabled person in a book, I like imprint on them. But yeah, you know, being given a Star Wars project, my thought was I have this sort of emotional obligation to try and give that feeling to other people, and I tried to do it in multiple ways. And every time someone like comes and you know drives by me online, because talking to people online is scary. They're like, "Thank you," and then they run away. I'm like, "I did it for you." <laughs> So, yeah, that's that's the last message I have, I guess. If you are, if any of this resonates with you, I did it on purpose. <laughs> it was uh, something I did for me, but it was also something I did for you.
2: That was such a beautiful, like, thing you just said. And I hate that half of my thoughts during that because you said you imprinted on... I'm oh bring up, was, bring- <laughs> was? You nicknamed my Sith Lord after McDonald's character Grimace. Um <laughs> And I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh my god (laughs) thank you so much (laughs) Uh, i'm crying Uh,
4: i consumed the twilight movies drunk with my friends because that was the only way i would agree to do it if we were playing a drinking game i no longer drink this is possibly the reason why but there was just a point in the last movie where one of my friends had like come over to join us because at first he objected to the whole thing and then he was like i feel left out so (laughs) he came over And at one point, like in the final battle, I'm just like, I've had enough. So I'm sort of like curled up on the couch with my head against the uh, pillow. And he's like, no, you turn around. You're the reason I'm here. You have to watch. Anyway, that's why it's good to be friends with the gays.
0: (laughs) On an actual serious note. Uh, I do think that put a a pretty great capstone on like what uh, we wanted to achieve by like talking to you and about this book that I'm not going to lie, unexpectedly touched me because like I watched a short and I was like, wow, that was really cool. And then I opened this book and I was like, things are happening to me uh, on an emotional level, which I was not ready for, but it was so refreshing because I feel like, we as as queer people and as diaspora people are so used to getting like the literal bare minimum and then just projecting as hard as you can manage onto that so to not have to project and like just get to go along for the ride and experiencing it um and seeing those emotions that i'd always been like this is pretty much like me and four other people (laughs) like it was really, it was really cool and refreshing to get to experience that in this universe that I love being able to read about and like get to be a part of. So, um, thank you, like from the bottom of my heart, for like writing this book. It was really great, and it it holds a place in my brain, apparently next to Twilight. Unfortunately, but <laughs> it, they're I, neighbors.
3: I, I'm not gonna lie the the spot that you're the spot that of like things that make me go crazy. Uh, That your book uh, holds in my brain, at least in the Star Wars section, um, especially with the stuff between uh, the Ronin and the Traveler. It sits right next to all the stuff with uh, Eli and Thrawn. Um, Every like because I don't know if you've listened to the. Uh, episode of the podcast where um, Jess and I started pulling out passages of the Thrawn books and like reading them like it was a Bible study um, (laughs) about them. (laughs) And um, I started to feel that way. I did
2: annotate my copy of Ronan because I'm so obsessed with it. Um, It is so good and made me cry so many times. So
4: I'm grateful to know this. Thank you for telling me. It is the best possible scenario for this book about which I was immensely anxious a lot of the time. Seeing it reach and connect with people who are the people who are like, these are the people I've most wanted it to be for. And to see that happen is just like, oh, thank God. (laughs)
2: Hey y'all, it's Melon Post here. Uh, just wanted to pop in. We mentioned last week that we'll be giving away a copy of Ronin. Um, and so I'm here to announce the winner of that giveaway. Congratulations to uh, Twitter user Dusty Ghost. There will be more giveaways in the future, so keep your eye out on that. Uh, but once again, congrats, Dusty Ghost!
1: You're getting a copy of Ronin! Thank you so much for joining us this week for Rupalp's Podrace and thanks Emma for taking the time out of your big Star Wars debut to hang out with us. Um, As always look out for new episodes on Sundays and follow us on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, and uh, yeah unfortunately Facebook at Rupalp's Podrace for Star Wars news and more extremely cursed content. And if you have an extra few minutes this week please rate and review and review our show on Apple Podcasts. Even if you don't use it as your podcatcher, it really helps us out. And remember, may the force be with you and don't criff it up. Waka waka. Waka waka. Waka
2: waka. waka, waka.